turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. We rejoice not because we always feel like it, but we rejoice because of the faith we have in what God has already done. Worship's not simply a depiction of our feelings. It's a declaration of our faith. We worship our way into feeling like worshiping Him. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Aren't you already glad that you've been in the house of God today? What a great time of worship already. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll begin reading there in just a moment. We're continuing this series, Too Good to Be True. One of my favorite life principles is what I call the expectation principle. Here it is. Most of life's frustrations come from unmet expectations that arise from poor communication. You've seen that play out in your marriage, if you're married. Those times where things aren't quite gelling as they should. You're frustrated at one another. How often is it because someone's disappointed in what's taking place and yet when you find out what was expected, it was not communicated to you and you feel helpless and you feel like, how did I even get into this mess? It's true at your workplace, a a boss wants you to do something and yet they may not clearly explain what it is they want you to do and, and then when you don't do what they wanted you to do, you're in trouble. And that's what this principle is all about. It's not only true in our horizontal relationships though. It's also true in our vertical relationship with God. In fact, it's a little worse there because not only when we don't live up to God's expectations does it obviously call frustration with Him. He is a holy God. It causes frustration within us because we know we're not living as we were meant to live. Things are not as they should be. That's why it's beneficial from time to time to open God's Word and to look in and ask this question. What does God want me to do? I mean, really, if I'm to please Him, if, if I'm going to live for Him, what does that look like? What are the expectations? That's what we're going to talk about today. We've been walking through the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and it's a letter that's all about salvation. Now, that's a church word that we use to describe what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Theologically, we refer to it as soteriology, the study of salvation, or the study around what it means to be saved. And so everything we've dealt with up to this point in the book of Romans has been around that topic. What does it look like 
What does it take to be saved? And the answer is amazing. In fact, it's almost too good to be true. We've said that it's simple faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's required if you want to be saved. Your salvation is not based on what you do or your work or your earning. Your salvation is based on your faith that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he did what he claimed to do. So you have to ask, uh, who did Jesus claim to be? Well, he claimed to be God. and, And that alone is something that separates us from most every other world religion. Jesus said that he was God. And what did he claim to do? Well, he claimed that through his death on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin, and he purchased a place in heaven for us, empowering us to live for his glory here and now. When we look to Jesus in faith, we're saved. We're saved from the power of sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin. As we look toward heaven, one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. That's what it means to run after Jesus, to follow him, to be saved. So as we started Romans 5 last week, we saw how those of us who are saved are described. What do we look like? Who are we? Well, we are people of peace. Why? Because we're at peace with God. And I just need you to understand, in a world of division and friction and and conflict, it is so good to know that I can be at peace with God. And some of you have come today or you're listening to these words and the greatest desire in your life is to have peace. But I would just tell you, you'll never have peace from God or, or the peace of God until you're at peace with God. And that begins when you have a personal relationship with him. And when you do, that changes everything. When you're saved, not only do you have peace, but you've got access Think about that. You have access to the Father. Paul's going to take us a place in Romans 8 where we learn that we are children of God. And as a, as a result, because we're children of God, we're heirs. We're heirs just like Jesus. That means that everything God has is available to us. It's like a father, like my five children, they are my heirs. So one day when I leave this world, they will get everything I have. Pray for them, because right now that means they'd get a lot of debt. That would not be, whew. But your heirs, you have access to the things of God. Doesn't that excite you, church? Isn't that good? That's who you are. You have peace. You have access. And then you have joy. And I would just tell you, here again, I'm, I'm your friendly neighborhood pastor just trying to speak into your life and see, say, some of you need that good dose of joy. You're not living as as if you understood that when you were saved, it means you have joy in in spite of the circumstances of life because you have the presence of Jesus. All of this comes as a result of what Jesus did for us. And remember, we, we read that last week. Let me just read this to you right now. What did Jesus do for us? It's the verses right before where we are in Romans chapter five. It says in verse six, You see at just the right time. Say just the right time. At just the right time when we were still powerless. Do you ever feel powerless? Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. That's me. We're not just unlovely. We're ungodly without Christ. But he died for us. Then we have just a factual statement. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. No. For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And then this verse 
man, you need to know this verse. You need to memorize this verse. Here it is. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Say, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what gives you peace, and that's what gives you access, and that's what gives you joy. Jesus Christ died for you, and he did that not based on how good you were, because he did that even in the depth of sin that you are. Why? Because God loves you. Friend, I don't know what you've gone through this week, but there's nothing in your life that could cause God to love you less than he does in this moment. And hear this, there's nothing you could do to cause God to love you anymore. God loves you. That's who you are if you're a follower of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Just say, thank you, Jesus. But what difference does it make, right? Jesus loves you and he died for you. Big deal if that's just fire insurance. If all this is just about that you've checked the box and now you're going to heaven, is that what this is about? Or could it mean more? Could there be something God wants me to do? Well, that's found in our understanding of what it means to be saved. Remember, there are kind of three tenses to being saved. We are saved once and for all. We were saved by the blood of Jesus from eternal damnation. We were saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved, though, that's sanctification. And we're being saved from that power of sin. More and more, I should look like Jesus. If you're a Christ follower and you've been a Christ follower, you should look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday because you're in process of transformation. You're being changed. And then thank you, Lord, one day we will be changed. That's glorification. We'll see Jesus face to face. We'll have no more hurts. There'll be no more weeping, no more tears, no more death. Can you praise him, church? That's going to be a great day. That eternal security is guaranteed in a moment, but that eternal transformation takes place over time. So that's what we're dealing with. How, how are we looking? Sometimes we check ourselves out in the mirror, right? What are we asking? How am I looking? You've got expectations. Most of us were raised in such a way you don't go outside of your house without looking the best that you can do. That's kind of what we're going to do today is look into God's word, the mirror of his word, and just say, how are we doing? If God has expectations of us, and he's communicated that to us through his word, how are we doing in light of those expectations? The key to understanding that is seeing what God's done for us. And what God has done for us is something that we call reconciliation. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. 
Romans 5, beginning in verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Now, now look at me. That's the most important thing you'll hear today. You've just heard God's word. The creator of all that is just spoke to you. Let's pause again in prayer and just ask him to implant that in our lives. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. We've just heard your word. Faithful and true. Apply it to our hearts and minds. So that we look differently. So that we do what you want us to do. And in the name of Jesus, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. My strength, my redeemer. And just as you redeemed me, would you redeem someone today, reconciling them to you for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Those few verses that I read are eat up with one word, one root word, the word reconcile. Reconcile, reconciled, reconciliation. What does that mean? Most of us can understand that because we've had irreconcilable differences with someone, right? Do you know that's the number one thing that people put in divorce proceedings, that they had irreconcilable differences. They're saying there was something that separated us, that broke us, that damaged our relationship. We're not on the same page. We're not together, and, and we need to be made right. We need to be reconciled. In the Bible, this has very specific meaning. Did you know that you can have tools that help you understand different things in the Bible? I would encourage you to use those tools, commentaries, encyclopedias, dictionaries that were designed for that purpose. And there's one called the Baker's Bible Dictionary. So let me just read to you what it says about reconciliation. It says, reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man or man and man. It assumes that there's been a breakdown in the relationship, but now there's been a change from a state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. Now, we understand this because we've been walking through Romans as the heart of the gospel. All of us were born separated from God. So that in and of itself is different from what some of you have been taught or understood. Some of you have said you've been taught that we're all God's children or that we're all good. That's not a scriptural message. The Bible says that you don't become a child of God until you begin a relationship with him, and you're not good in and of ourselves. In fact, our heart, the Bible says, is exceedingly wicked because we're all sinners, and that sin separates us from God. It's broken the relationship. And unless that relationship is reconciled, unless it's fixed, unless it's restored, we're at enmity, the Bible says, with God. That means we're an enemy of God. So not only are you not a child of God, you're not even 
You're not even friends with God. You're an enemy with God. But God doesn't want that. And that's why we have that verse that I said, man, you need to be saying hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. But God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus on the cross was the punishment for sin that you deserved. It was the punishment I deserved. And because he took our punishment, we can have forgiveness by his grace, and we can have life with God. That which was irreconcilable is reconciled because of Jesus. That begins to make sense, doesn't it? Reconciliation. In the Old Testament, a word that is used to describe this is the word atonement. In fact, if you were following along in the King James Version, that last word, reconciliation, says atonement. Why? What is it? Atonement. Well, atonement is like that word justified. Remember the word justified? We said it sounds like what it means. When you say the word justified, you can be reminded. When we trust Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and look to what he did on the cross, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I've been justified. Well, atonement is another word that kind of sounds like what it means. When we are atoned, we are made at one with God. It's our at one And in the Old Testament, atonement was a big deal. In fact, once a year, there was a day of atonement. That's still the most important Jewish holiday. What is it called? Yom Kippur. In the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement was when the high priest, once a year, could go inside the Holy of Holies. He could perform a blood sacrifice over the Ark of the Covenant. And that would be an atonement or at one for all the sins of all the nation of Israel, all the Jewish people. So understand what took place. If you wanted to be made right with God, you depended on the fact that that one day a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would do a sacrifice for you on your behalf every year. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he became the atonement for our sin. The shed blood of Jesus happened once and for all. And the writer of Hebrews said, we no longer require the blood of goats and lambs, but we have the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins have been atoned for and we were reconciled with God. That's the hope of the gospel. Thanks to Jesus, we no longer need to be reconciled by that bloody bloody sacrifice. His blood did all that was needed. That's why we call it good news. So what difference does this make? If that's such a big deal, God, what do you want from me? Paul uses this same word again and again in another passage, in another letter, his letter to the church at Corinth. So I want us to look at that and really just... Pull away from Romans for a few minutes and talk about reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, church... I'm just telling you, if you are awake and you are a follower of Christ, that should have, that should have lit your fire. 
Do you hear what it says? Let's read that aloud together. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Praise God for change. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he's committed to us that we have this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I look at that passage and there are several things I see. Um, For one, I I, I see that if we're reconciled, everything begins to look differently. Did you catch that? We see the world differently. If we're reconciled, we're different. We're a new creation. All the old's gone. Everything's become new. If we're reconciled, then we should live our lives with everyone we see. Saying, you've got to have what I've got. You need to be reconciled. Let me unpack that for you. First of all, here's a truth. God wants you to have a new point of view. God wants you to see the world through his eyes. If you've been reconciled, if you've been saved, you see the world differently. How about it? What comes to mind when you pass that homeless person on the street? How how do you respond when that person cuts you off in the road? They get in your way at Publix. What what do you do when that neighbor just isn't being very neighborly? When the co-worker doesn't even act like you're on the team? How, How do you see the world around you? Jesus models this. The Bible tells us that he goes up on a hill overlooking Jerusalem. May have well been the Mount of Olives. I've stood there and you can see the whole city. It says Jesus began to weep as he looked at the city. He saw them through his eyes. He cried out to the Father and he said, They're they're like chicks scurrying around without the mother hen. They're helpless and they're hopeless. How do you see the world? What's your point of view? Do you see people from God's perspective? Do you see everybody that is around you as somebody that needs the love and the grace and the mercy of God? Or are you a respecter of persons? Do you see people differently if their skin color is different from you, if they're Clothing, their background, their economic class is different from you. If their walk is different from you. If the choices they've made have put them in a place different from you. Do you see people through reconciled eyes? God wants you to have a new point of view, but there's a second thing. God wants you to be a new person. The only way you can have a a new point of view is is to be a new person. That's the point of that verse. That's why I want you to memorize it. I want you to shout it out. I want you to tattoo it on your heart. And for all I care, you can tattoo it on your forearm. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old has passed away. All things have become new. 
You're new. You're new. If you were never changed, if you've not been made new, then make no mistake, it's hard to make a biblical case that you've been saved, that you've been reconciled. Because the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. All things have become new. Now, do we still mess up? Yeah. Because we're still sinners. Remember, we're in the process of being sanctified. We are being saved. But let me ask you a question. When you say that you were saved, when you say that you were reconciled, did your vocabulary change? Did some of your habits change? Did the way you spend your resources and you give to others, has that changed? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.